0: today, Not only because we're going north to well almost where Frozen's from, which many of you would know is my favourite thing in the universe, um, but also because we're talking to somebody who I have had and we have had the absolute pleasure of working with previously um, here at Seed. So today we welcome Peta Torgerson, Talent Acquisition Leader at Volkswagen's Car Software Organisation. I don't know either, and we're going to find out very soon. We partnered closely with Peta during his time at Audi's autonomous intelligent driving subsidiary named AID, um, where we worked with him and partnered with him scaling his team from 30 to about 300, I think. Is that right, Peta? Cool. I'm very excited to be chatting to you today, um, starting off by asking you, how is it in wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen this morning?
1: Um, Well, it's rainy and (laughs) grey, summer is definitely over, Um,
0: but uh, otherwise not all fine. Well, it's good to see you again Um, and good to hear that, you know, things are going so well for you. I know there's been a few changes in your recent history, including a change of country. So tell us a little bit about what you've been up to, where where you've been over the last few years and, and what's going on today.
1: Well, um, so to give you a bit about, the, let's say, most recent, um, I'm now at CarSoft organization, as, as you mentioned, we can sort of deep dive into that a bit later. Um, mm-hmm. Moved on from uh, AID, um, that followed an acquisition, we were acquired by Argo AI, so um, lots has happened uh, over the summer. Of course, before that, preparing for an acquisition and then the acquisition happening, the move, Mm. Uh, a new startup which is uh, a very different scale uh, within Volkswagen Um, so it certainly has kept me busy it's been a turbulent year
0: for sure in many respects Um, yeah for all of us but maybe a little bit more so for you (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely now tell us a little bit about car.software what are you guys doing what's the vision what's the plan there
1: yeah so it's it's a new independent organization within the uh, Volkswagen group um mm-hmm. there is a bit of context history here um Volkswagen have um traditionally been heavily reliant on partners on their ecosystem to mm-hmm. uh, deliver a lot of their technologies um of course then uh, not only is it done outside but all the let's say ipo all the patents sit outside and you know, buying best in class, but uh, the task is then to integrate it all and make it work, which we all know when it comes to technology as it's difficult, Uh, Mm lots of complexities around that. So, uh, you know, to keep it short, what they want to do is build uh, that capability or shift that balance, uh, build it up more of that capability Mm -hmm. in-house. And um, so that's software. it's a software organization uh, it's about mobility, uh, it's about the experience of course, and it's about the future of, of say, auto, which is very much in software. So inevitably, in many ways, something they need to do and that they're now doing. But it's also and bringing all the let's say, capabilities in from
0: the different brands. I'm really gonna show my aid here, but until we get uh, the autonomous car that is like Kit from Night Rider, you know, yeah. that's, that's my goal, to have the talking car with the sort of, red lights across the front so if you can just have a chat to the good folk at at Volkswagen and see if they can make that happen Um, I might switch from Italian to German cars finally so (laughs) thank you you've joined software uh, car software at a really early stage Um, you guys went operational on the 1st of July is that correct
1: yeah the company was I guess founded first of January but went operational first of uh, July Um, so yeah that's right fair enough and
0: what what have the last three months been like? What's been going on there?
1: Well, so uh, if I speak on it from, let's say, my perspective and a talent yes. perspective, um, so as I said, uh, I moved in from, from AID. AID was acquired during well, in the beginning of June, that's when it sort of formally mm-hmm. closed and uh, lots happened then, as, as as you know, as it relates to integration in that month of June and me switching over. So a lot happened very quickly. In July is when CarSoftware.org was was uh, let's say operationally kicked off. Um, but there had been recruitment going on all across the Volkswagen Group in the different brands into let's say software related, also the future CarSoftware.org. Um, mm-hmm. There were hundreds and hundreds of roles uh, that were still open mm-hmm. various stages. Uh, so as we went operational, all of this had to be somewhat aligned. We needed to figure out what are we going to proceed with? How are we are going to close this? Try to sort of create a clean slate, if you may. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's really been it trying to close and align everything so that we can start our own, let's say CSO recruitment when it comes mm-hmm. to, you know, what kind of skills, uh, how do we position, how do we define things? Uh, for me, I've been involved in, a, say, a special project, um, mm-hmm. trying to get some, uh, I would say, highly sought-after and critical skills into to CSO within a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. We had an opportunity there. Um, we're coming to a close of that. And, then, and now it's about trying to uh, put this, let's say, recruitment foundation in place for, mm-hmm. for CSO. CSO is interesting because, it's, let's say, it's it's a startup because we're starting up. But we're already over a thousand people these were people moving in from the brands so you can imagine Mm -hmm. all managers new into their roles all roles ongoing trying to coordinate and align everything it's been
0: um and bring uh, together people from loads of different cultures different operating systems different backgrounds as well like um i've gone through a couple of integrations myself and acquisitions and You know i find that that often that can be one of the trickiest things is everybody thinks they think the same but actually they're operating very very differently and that can be quite tricky to to navigate in the early stages um you have this is not your first rodeo you have done this a number of times before Um, building and scaling teams and working through integrations and acquisitions at loads of of really, you know, top flight uh, big organizations, places like Cisco and and Schneider Electric. More recently, obviously, we worked together when you were the head of talent at Audi's Autonomous Intelligent Driving. Um, What have been for you the biggest learnings as you've been scaling these teams uh, in these kinds of organizations?
1: I think for me going into AID was a bit of a pivot in many ways as I've been in big organizations and then wanted to try myself in a say new environment. It was interesting because in all the big companies they were talking about the threat of you know startup scale-ups now how quickly they moved and everything and they all wanted to adapt, learn, whatever but it's hard you know when you're in a dinosaur to make that shift mm-hmm. so I figured let's go into a startup scale-up and, 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 and try. So still learning uh, I would say but um, I think uh, for me it just put an emphasis on the importance of culture, we can go into that in a bit mm-hmm. more detail as well, so this this mm-hmm. piece around culture, your mission, your vision and uh, the, the purpose of the organization and sort of how you articulate that and build that into the the, the recruitment, um, as you look at uh, diversity and inclusion and, and uh, again, how you embark on, on, on that journey, um, so I think there's lots of different uh, areas that I were aware of before and worked on before, but they were just Mm -hmm. critically important in a a startup much more than I perhaps um, thought before moving into it. Um, The importance of also, it's always a balancing act, right? So there's never, you know, you always need to figure out where you spend your time. It's iterative. You you know, you're not Mm going to get the perfect solution in, 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 in the first go. so. So that was also a big bit how to really apply agile myself in in my way of working mm-hmm. and within the talent team how we worked in in sprints. Um, so so that was also a a learning uh, the importance of, of of focus as well. Um, you know headcount planning is a big word, but really you know figuring out what you need when and 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 uh, be very conscious about that. Uh, you know more structure around it. Data, the
0: importance of that, and showcasing what you're doing. Um, yeah, the, the list that is like long. Hit sort of the the greatest hits of how to run a talent organization then like yeah sort of, pretty much you know, the, the 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 data piece is always a really tricky one because everybody you know um wants more <laughs> There's, you know we could we could spend our days you know counting what we do as opposed to actually doing it um and i know you guys had some some nifty ways of automating some of that um but you also talked about um the fact that you know uh, it's different when you move into a much smaller organization you've got to be a bit more of a jack-of-all-trades you perhaps don't have huge shared services teams or huge support functions that you can leverage and and you really need to kind of take on some of those skills and, and work out some of that stuff for yourself. Um, what do you think though is the biggest BS advice that you've heard when it comes to scaling teams at early stages? Well I think
1: you know, as everywhere, there's, there's this talk about uh, quality. You know, the bar needs to be high. We need quality, quality, quality. And absolutely, you, you need quality. But when you can't measure quality, it becomes a bit vague, right? So, so but on the back of that, I think that the biggest um, yes for me is this you know, the harder the process, the, the better the candidate you, you oh, get God. through. And I. I, 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 you know, you go overload on technical assessment, you spend days and nights and everything and, and, and you don't even know, again back to my point, how to measure quality, so are you actually mm. getting, it's not about, there is no perfect candidate, it's it's about getting the right candidate for you, for now, and as you look to the future, how you can evolve that into what you need in the future, and, and so it's about getting the right candidate, so to speak, it's not about getting the mm. best and applying the roughest and toughest uh, assessments i mean i see these companies going out there and saying you know we're the hardest to get into and all this and i see also these companies talking about you know how uh, you know passive candidates is, is, is passive candidates are so much better than active candidates i mean that's
0: going to change now i mean that yeah. has to change now with the the fact that there are so many people so many more people on the market and from amazing companies like airbnb um rolls-royce airbus you know they're, they're these people have been the best in their class for years, um, and the fact that they're looking for a job doesn't mean that they're any less qualified to to join an organisation. So, I think it's the height of arrogance and also ignorance. I think to yeah. say that somebody who is on the market is uh, is less qualified or, or less ideal um, than somebody who is who who has already got a job. Um, but I mean, you really, just is a, so true. I just yeah, but go ahead.
1: We, yeah, almost fifty percent of our hires came from applicants. Um, I mean, yeah, again, candidate experience is what's important, right? Treat your different channels and candidates in different mm-hmm. ways because you will have different volumes. Mm. But you know, again, uh, we had more candidates hired through applicants than we have through source.
0: So yeah, more direct. Source. I um, I had the pleasure of working for an organization that uh, is most famous these days for making telephones, but back when I was there, were most famous for making computers. And uh, the majority of our hires came through applications as well, because we were inundated with people who wanted to work for us. And I think, you know, there's loads of companies out there that that are not even in the technology space traditionally, companies like L'Oreal, which are viewed as being one of the best employers in Europe, and again, like have huge teams of people working on their applications because they've got such an amazing employer brand and such an amazing reputation that people are literally falling over themselves to work there even at the very senior level so um i think yeah it's it's funny how as talent professionals we often know this and we often agree with it and then when you're talking to people who don't do what we do for a living and they've got all of these amazing you know uh, judgments and um, you know the 10 commandments of hiring that they that they like to give you and you right. mentioned one that I just want to come back to which is this notion of the harder the process um, yeah. the better qualified the candidate will be. Um, it's it's a, a, a somewhat little known fact that actually in certain countries including ones that you've worked in um, and that I've worked in, um, if people do more than four hours of interviews you actually have to pay them um, and, you know, <laughs> whilst in some places that's perhaps not applied universally, you know, it is something to be really mindful of that um, bringing people in for entire days to do, you know, hours and hours of, of technical testing um, it can actually kind of def- deter people from wanting to come work for you. And uh, And if it's not aligned to your culture and values, it's also like a waste of time like if you're you know making people do stuff just to prove that you're the cleverest person in the room um you know it's uh, again can be a little bit arrogant but i digress um you've got a, a ton of experience building your own talent teams as well um and you know it's really tricky when you're first starting out to know what kind of people or, or what kind of skills and experience you need to scale your own talent team is there any advice that you would give to any founders or heads of talent that might be listening today uh, when it comes to the people or the capabilities that you need for a talent team, for, a, for a you know, talent from a talent perspective? Yeah, I, th-
1: I think. Uh, I mean, recruitment, as you look at. Um, look at it, it It it's a collective effort right across the company and it always will be so mm-hmm. it, it's not so that it can you know recruitment sits in hr sits in talent or you know you outsource it or anything mm-hmm. like that it's of course yeah. strategic and, and it will involve everyone so 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 ta really is you know that enabling function that that that, that drives it but mm-hmm. but you need that involvement across the field um and, you know so when you look at technical assessment some of these things you need your engineers involved and and on all of that mm-hmm. referrals whatever else but i i think um you know it is important to build up your ta capabilities early uh, i think that's super important i know i'm sort of taking a bit big step back to your question mm-hmm. now but um, no, but it's true. because it is iterative right and and if you make the wrong moves in the beginning it's very it's much harder to sort of backtrack and correct uh, you know you can look at that when it comes to you know how you define culture and culture add and how you recruit for that again looking at dni early and um, you can see it in systems tools whatever investments you make if you make make the wrong ones it's just much harder to fix it afterwards than making it right in the beginning but it's hard to build it yourself i mean if you're a small company do you big build a big tat immediately that's going to be hard you know mm-hmm. funding wise uh, making that work so you can partner with companies i mean such as yourself right so to bring mm-hmm. in that capability early to kickstart it uh, build it yourself then over time find the right balance and uh, mm-hmm. you want some of that let's say sourcing capability for sure i mean we spoke about application but you want some of that sourcing capability so that. That's where a TA team mm-hmm. can certainly help you. You want some of that help around some of the aspects that I just mentioned, but also the planning piece and to be targeted. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a balancing act as well. It's easy to go after maybe, let's say in a tech company, some of the more, say, execution-oriented resources. You know, developers, maybe more junior developers might be easier to attract. The technical architect is going to be difficult to attract, but you need the technical architect to set the direction for the developers and also train the mm-hmm. developers over time. So. If you bring in heaps of developers because that's what you get, you're going to have imbalance, and it's probably going to really derail you as a business. So mm-hmm. that, that, that again, to focus on the right things, maybe get some of those harder hires earlier, and that takes a, a different approach. Um, in terms of the capabilities of the recruiters themselves, I'd say you know sales, that ability to sell for me is super important. Mm-hmm. The learning agility is super important because you want to understand the technical aspects, but everything around what you do and how that also evolves over time. So more than perhaps being a technical expert, that
0: ability to adapt and learn, um, ability to... I think that's to the key to uh, any hire, really. I mean, you know, if, if people... Um, I talk about learning agility a lot with my own teams, and, you know, once upon a time, I'd never hired anyone in my life, and then somebody asked me to start hiring lawyers and hiring yeah. technical yeah. leaders, hiring sales leaders. Like, we all never knew once, <laughs> so we've and we've all learned along the way. And, you know, um, I think... Uh, we kind of over index a little bit sometimes on the the technical knowledge or the the technical yeah. experience um, as you said, like being able to to sell to pitch to communicate and yes. you know candidate care and those sort of you know yeah. um, evergreen skills that are required by talent um, professionals those are the sorts of things that you can 't learn along the way, so um, they're the things that i 've always focused on one thing that I remember from our time working together is that uh, at AID you guys were really good at hiring for culture ads and bringing in talent that you know some more traditional places might talk about culture fit that you always talked about culture ad tell me a little bit about how you guys did that
1: I think uh, as and I keep on saying it's iterative it's a journey and it was for us as as well so Um, I mean, in the beginning, when I joined, we didn't really have anything defined around values, culture, and a lot of our assessment was super heavy on technical. um mm-hmm. I think what we experienced, you know, were the issues around that. So we tended to be—I mean, if they're technically brilliant, we, we we hire them. But what we saw is that we had these. I mean, for us, uh, there are different domains. The different domains need to work together, and they're very different in autonomous driving. The the different domains, so. You know, collaboration becomes super important. Uh, how you communicate becomes super important. Well, we didn't really look at that. So, you know, right. looking at non-technical skills became important. So that was sort of a, a journey as to starting looking more on that and weighing that up. And then it was the aspect around culture we started to look more on. It's sort of how we show up, how we behave, uh, how those mm-hmm. values translate into that culture. Um, and when we embarked on it, I was a, I was a bit cautious as well because I was thinking this might sort of drive for exclusion. We might say, hey, these are the four whatever cultures that we, mm. uh, you know, hold holy, and and everyone needs to be that. Um, mm. But the way we applied it was more they became more guiding principles. I think for us it was something we you, we could unite around, and it was something we built together. It was never a sort of top down leadership says these are our cultures. It's something mm. we built iteratively together. We felt they resonated collectively as an organization. We probably did it at a good time when we were about, you know, 150 people or so. Um, And then we started to add, you know, this culture interview where, again, we were looking to understand what values were important or what cultural aspects were important to the candidates. And we started to be far more, let's say, disciplined around in the briefs and debriefs to make sure those were heard. Again, in the beginning- Those were valued as much as the technical
0: skills exactly. as well yeah Because in
1: the beginning it was like you know hey we have some you know we're not so sure about this and that when it comes to culture uh but it was like well but the person's technically brilliant so we do it anyways i mean that was literally mm-hmm. but this also then evolved over time as we saw the importance and we also i mean how culture then translated into engagement and we started to measure engagement more Mm -hmm. and how engagement translates into performance and you can see it also in referrals and it's sort of a positive spiral that you're starting to build and I think Mm -hmm. as again recruitment is a collective exercise and everyone's involved once you start to see the impact of taking a very close look at culture when you hire and and again not to use it to exclude but to use it to be conscious around what you include or what you need or what you can add Mm -hmm. Culture is not static. Again, it's iteratively, those four that we built would evolve over time. Um, so I think we just built the consciousness uh, we were, and it was a continuous. We weren't there. We weren't. I mean, I think there are some interesting companies that look at kind of how can you measure culture more deliberately and quantify. It. I think that's super interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, for us, again, that journey and becoming more and more
0: conscious about the impact of culture um, in, I think- in your life you you sorry, you made a really interesting point there about um and i and I know this is close to your heart as well about culture um perhaps being anathema to diversity and inclusion, and sometimes people are so focused on hiring this amazing sort of cultural image um and, and ideal that they perhaps exclude um uh, you know huge swathes of the workforce as a result and I know you guys did a lot of work to make sure that diversity and inclusion became part of your DNA very very early on in the journey of aid um is that something that you'll be looking to iterate and and you know continue to deliver while uh, at cso now
1: yeah i think uh, i mean again it's a little bit of a different beast now as you're it's it's sort of it's a startup but you're over a thousand people it's a weird thing in that way because you're looking Mm -hmm. at integration and startup at the same time Mm -hmm. but absolutely i mean that would be my my clear thinking and advice is look mm-hmm. at DNI super early because it's so hard to, to kind of correct later on. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's about consciousness and same with culture. It's all iterative. It's all about being conscious about what steps you're making and what impact that has on your organization. Um, because the culture is just this conglomerate of what you are. Um, so mm-hmm. every hire you bring in will impact it, whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> same with diversity. And then, as you look at diversity and inclusion, and then belonging again, and and I think you know, as engagement drives for performance, but again, broader, every employee is part of recruiting, so they become ambassadors as they're part of assessing, as they're referring. Again, mm-hmm. as you start to look consciously at this, there are so many spin-off effects that are positive, translating into recruitment. And, mm-hmm. and and the last bit is this vision mission bit, which I think is you know, for us in in AID, it was. It was super important because it's so easy for tech companies to be like we, we, we're we the coolest tech everyone wants to come here because it's the coolest tech and yeah for some that is
0: true but if you but really want to that, become the coolest tech down the yeah, line yeah. And then you lose your people so exactly <laughs> and, and and if that's all it's built on and what about your competitors that do the
1: same as you or mm-hmm. so, so you've got to like really look at i mean it's you can't invent it, but think carefully about what, what is it that your company is doing and how is it impacting you know your society uh, as a whole? How do you articulate that? Because as you get people on board who really buy into that, and again, as the company evolves, and as you said, tech evolves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're going to be there because they believe in the mission and vision and how that connects to the broader impact. I mean, you saw it with Facebook and kind of the negative impact they had in some ways. and And for us, mm-hmm. it was about, Autonomous driving is, yeah, super cool, but it's about how autonomous driving can impact society. It was our core message right from the beginning. It was the sort of human centricity, or um, uh, the message around that the the human aspects of that that were important. Mm-hmm. So how is this going to impact cities? How is this going to impact um,
0: you know urban living? Um, how is this going to help people? Um, Anyone who knows me um, personally knows that I have only been driving autonomously myself for six months because um, I got my license at the beginning of the year. So I am well, well up for the world of cars being able to drive me instead of me being able to drive the car. So I look forward to a future where the night Riders or the, the Jetsons or whatever it is that's going <laughs> to take over our streets. If they could sort out London traffic though. I don't yes. know that there is anyone with the technical capability in the universe to sort out the traffic situation here at the moment, but uh, we can look forward to that as an aspirational goal for the future. Um, Peter, one final question, I, and again, uh, you know, knowing you a little well um, compared to, to perhaps some of the other people I've spoken to during this series, I can probably guess some of the answers here, but um, what is a thought or a phrase or a value or something like that, that you that you live by?
1: Um, leading by example, I I think uh, yeah. I think that kind of comes back to how I work with teams, people. So I I wouldn't expect of others what I wouldn't expect of myself or, or do myself. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's definitely one that that stands really strong. And
0: you know, as you look at servant leadership and all these things, that they're very
1: close to heart. So
0: we're 100% aligned on that one. Um, and I'd like to say thank you to those folks that taught me that at Starbucks about 20 years ago. So, um, and, uh, and over the course of the last five months, of course, the world's been thrown into complete chaos. What have you been doing to make sure that you keep laughing during all of that time? ah uh, you know i i've
1: got um i've got two small kids i got uh ah. um I don't know. and and that's my source of i don't know inspiration and frustration at the same time i must say they drive me crazy from time to time but um you know, lots of lots of learnings uh and lots of lots of fun as well so uh, you know i love to you know it's how you define yourself right in, in the back in the days i would talk about all these things i was doing i'm with my kids most of the time now when i'm not working. <laughs>
0: I I can definitely emphasise with that sentiment as well. Um, Hanging out with small people, certainly... Brings the world back into a, a bit more of a beautiful perspective. So thank you for sharing that, Peta. Um, look, it's been an absolute delight waking up and having a chat to you this morning. Um, I hope those of you who are listening in live have enjoyed it. And those of you who watch this down the line on, re- on the recorded version, I really hope that you enjoy what Peta had to say. And of course, reach out to him directly on LinkedIn or reach out to us and we'd be happy to connect you guys if you'd like to learn a little bit more about what he's been doing um, and how he has delivered uh, talent in scaling organisations.